This episode of Decisions That Matter, a Procurated Podcast, features a great interview with Olivia Duke, the Chief Financial Officer for the Georgia Department of Community Supervision. Olivia shares both strategic and tactical thoughts on a range of topics including procurement, communicating across agencies and internally across departments, the importance of capturing institutional knowledge, and hiring the next wave of government leaders. This episode is also brought to you by NIGP, the Institute for Public Procurement. This coming August and September, NIGP will be incubating big ideas with daily impact at the premier public procurement event of the year. Visit nigp.org events to register for virtual forum on August 23rd to 26th and the new NIGP Leadership Summit, September 11th to 14th. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast, where we meet with leaders from across the procurement community to discuss innovative and strategic ideas. Because when it comes to procurement, every decision matters. Thank you for uh, joining me today, Olivia. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So before we get going, can you do us a favor and jump a little bit into your background, um, how you got into public service, and then kind of walk us up to to your current role? Sure. Um, I moved down to Georgia in 2011, and I got my master's of public administration from the University of Georgia. And so at that point, I knew that uh, getting an MPA, I wanted to uh, work in government, and I specialized in uh, public finance at that point. And so from there, I interned at the governor's office of planning and budget, which is the executive budget office for the state of Georgia. And shortly thereafter, I became employed with the Georgia Senate Budget and Evaluation Office, which is one of the legislative budget offices here in the state of Georgia. It's one of two. And I worked there for a little while and really cut my teeth on the legislative budget process and realized that very quickly that I enjoyed working in public finance. I then began working for an executive agency. I went out to work at the Department of Public Safety and worked there for a couple years and then moved back to the governor's office of planning and budget. And there I worked in the division of public safety where I got to oversee the budgets of a bunch of public safety agencies, all of the public safety agencies for Georgia and make recommendations on their budgets. And that's when I became kind of involved in the budget for Department of Community Supervision and a lot of our sister agencies like Department of Corrections and uh, the State Board of Pardons and Paroles and a lot of the agencies that we work with today. And from there, I moved to the Department of Community Supervision and became the budget director. And now I am the chief financial officer for this agency. Um, and some, some individuals may ask, like, what exactly is the Department of Community Supervision? In a big picture way, it is community corrections. Uh, we provide supervision for individuals who are under felony probation or parole. And so in that, we have probably around 220,000 individuals in the state of Georgia who are under some form of supervision and have around 2,000 employees uh, in our agency who provide that type of service. And in my role, I make sure that everyone in our agency has the resources that they need to, to be able to, to do that job. You and I have 
probably known each other for 15 years at this point. We graduated on the same day from the same place. And so now you're the chief financial officer of a huge government agency, which to me is pretty damn impressive. So props to you for that. What does that actually look like on a day-to-day basis? So like, what is the kind of scope of that CFO role? Like what kind of budget are you managing? How many people are under your supervision? Um, Like what, what does it kind of take to be a a CFO on a day-to-day basis? Well, I would say straight out the gate, every day is a little bit different. And, you know, big picture, our budget right now is 167 million operating uh, budget. We do have a capital outlay budget as well for facilities and fleet, and that varies uh, year to year. So right now I oversee a team of around 20 plus people, and we have subunits that comprise procurement, budget, accounting, business operations. We also have maintenance and facilities that um, roll up to me as well. And so with that, I mean, when I think about my role as a CFO, the biggest part of my job is to ensure that our resources across the agency are kind of aligned to our strategic plan and also our statutory functions. And so that we're meeting the needs of the agency and the needs of the individuals who you know, we're supervising. And so what individuals that, you know, work for DCS, what they need, um, and then helping the team that, you know, that I, that I lead, making sure they have all the support that they need to do their job and their functions efficiently and, and with the support that they, they may need. So sometimes that may mean that, you know, I'm with procurement and we're working on executing a contract for a major maintenance renovation. Sometimes like right now we're closing up our, closing up our fiscal year. So I've been working a lot with procurement or excuse me, with the accounting team in the budget team to make sure that we're in budgetary compliance. We have a balanced budget requirement here in the state of Georgia. And so we have to obviously not overspend our budget and be in line with the Appropriations Act. And so it's very much that we have to be in line with that. And then also with the accounting team to make sure that all of our fund sources are reconciled correctly and that all of the revenue is reported where it needs to be and just working very closely with them to make sure that our ledgers and our financial records look um, exactly how they need to be reported to the state accounting office. Um, And that's in addition to Uh, Anything else that comes up from anyone else in the agency who may need something, which some of those come up any day, like, you know, supplies or a desk or, or whatever. So uh, I would say that my job can vary and I enjoy that part about it. That's good. That keeps it interesting. As a state agency, I'm assuming you work with a, a nice wide range of suppliers. I know we've talked a little bit offline of kind of some of the nuances that come with choosing those suppliers, whether they're um, one of the pre-vetted state suppliers or they're someone that might be on kind of a smaller end of the budget. Can you talk a little bit about um, the seven stages of the procurement period pyramid that you mentioned before and sort of how that kind of structured procurement thinking factors into the way that you all are working and choosing suppliers? Sure. Our procurement process is really guided by the official code of Georgia annotated. So we're, you know, really guided by state law here in Georgia. And the purpose of that is to ensure that our procurement process is competitive and that it's transparent and that we are equitable in how we are procuring goods in the state of Georgia. And so with that, when you think about, you know, procurement, we have, and and like you referenced, we've mentioned it before, we have a Think of it as a pyramid where you have seven stages and you start kind of from the top and you work your way down. And so 
when we get a request for, you know, goods or services, when we think about purchasing things, we, we start from the top of that pyramid. And, and the very first thing that we think about is, is it mandatory? And so that's a mandatory contract. And so what really happens at the state is that our procurement is really guided by the Department of, Department of Administrative Services, and they have a state purchasing division. And they will evaluate how purchasing is being conducted across all agencies. And they will kind of pre-negotiate and leverage contracts on behalf of the state. And so when they do that, they will determine, okay, so it appears that agencies are using all of these services or this specific vendor will go ahead and make this a mandatory contract because they have pre-negotiated a contract that is in the best interest of the state. And that will be a mandatory contract for the state. So we will automatically, if we're buying that kind of good or service, we'll have to go to that contract. And so then the next level down on that pyramid is going to be a convenience contract. And so on convenience contracts, it's also a pre-negotiated contract by the state. And so at this point, it's not mandatory, but it's already been pre-negotiated for us. And so we don't have to go execute a contract ourselves as an agency. And so we can utilize that you know, a vendor that's already or supplier that's already on that contract or on that convenience contract that's already been negotiated for us. And then you kind of move down that um, pyramid and there's other vendors and suppliers that kind of fit into these categories that have been pre-vetted or they may be in a consortia or we can piggyback off of other agency contracts. Um, and so then you get kind of down to that lowest level, which is just an open market purchase. And open market purchase obviously has a dollar threshold that once you reach beyond that threshold, then we need to competitively bid that service or that product out. So that's kind of how we think about the procurement. We have that model that we follow. And, and that's what I end up communicating a lot internally, especially as we're looking to other, you know, when divisions come to me and they're asking for services or goods, like we, we always work with the procurement team to determine where it fits in that model. So when it comes to your kind of personal focus on this, there's a lot of your attention on those internal communications where you're um, working together with, with those internal teams to see what they actually need, what's being completed, sort of how, like seeing how the projects are going and if the timing is on board, all that kind of stuff, um, more of an internal focus than the external focus with suppliers. Right. So the procurement team is doing majority of the con contact with our external suppliers. And then also some of our individuals out in the agency, um, they have a lot of contact with suppliers. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm thinking of some divisions, I'm going to say like our training division, they have a lot of contact with their suppliers because they're the ones who are engaging with them regularly about, you know, the quantity or the type or, you know, things of that nature of the types of goods that they're using a lot of. And they're often the ones who are getting the initial quote for the quantity or services or, or what have you. And then the procurement team is the one that's actually making the purchase. Like they're finishing it in the, what we call the procurement workbench in the system, mm -hmm. like the actual financial system. And so a lot of my engagement is traditionally, you know, for larger projects or projects that are going to need to go through a solicitation process, or if we need to, if I need to engage with a vendor where we're going to need to be on a demo um, and we're going to need to see that service, it's going to be, it's not a traditional purchase or it's something, it's a new service. It's not a, a normal purchase that we have you know, it's a repeat buy or it's a contract that we're always engaged in, or it's an addition to that service. So maybe it is a service that we always have, but now we're going to expand the type of service that we're getting from this vendor. And so we need to 
we need to talk about what that looks like. Over the last year or so, we saw a lot of issues pop out in terms of things that were facing procurement departments, facing governments in general. Um, we saw the change in technology be a huge area of need. What's something that you see being over the next three years, five years, 10 years, an area that you're focused on as kind of an area of need or an area where um, you're going to potentially be putting some extra focus on? So thankfully, from the technology standpoint, we're pretty squared away. Um, we have a really top-notch uh, IT team and they had a lot of foresight to stand up our agency in a way that has really put us um, our best foot forward, especially, you know, made us really in the right place to be able to pivot and respond really well to kind of the challenges of the pandemic put in front of us. And so I think from a very personal standpoint and kind of looking at kind of the the team that I have and kind of where you know we're going and and also just kind of my personal perspective of looking at like state government in general and like some of my observations I think the biggest challenges that we have are kind of continuing to attract and retain high level talent in state government um, especially as you see individuals who are retiring or we have like an aging workforce and I think this is not just a state government thing this is obviously like a global like we see this in a, in a really big picture across a lot of different genres if you will but I think retention is going to continue to be kind of a really big issue moving forward so not just getting them in the door but then being able to keep a really talented workforce um, something that I've been really focusing on is succession planning in my team um, and I know I mean you mentioned this earlier like like yeah we went to school together and we graduated and and now I'm a CFO and, and I am younger. And so part of that is like the person that I replaced retired. And so we have a lot of like highly seasoned CFOs and financial professionals that are retiring. And when they retire, they're also taking with them a lot of institutional knowledge. And so what you're missing is that transition of knowledge, you know, to individuals and making sure that we're getting that transitioned to the next ones who take over those roles. And, and so I think that's something that we really need to address. And so something that I focus on is making sure that we have like depth on the bench so that we've got people in place who are getting trained and getting that cross training. And so I've also put a lot of emphasis on professional development and making sure that our team is getting the training that they need. If you've ever found yourself in a position where there is something where you just don't know what the next step should be, or you haven't had to do it before is your next step to reach out to someone like who you may have met who actually is retired or who has done this or is it to find somebody in another agency or somebody who um, is part of a association or something who might be in a position to to help you walk through that or do you just so, and hope for the no best? i i am always gonna call and ask for help and it's it's interesting that you ask this question because that's one thing that I will probably say is something that I have grown a lot in probably the past two years in that regard is to just be humble and it's okay to acknowledge that you don't know something. And I try to communicate this a lot to my team too, that I would rather you acknowledge that you don't know something and ask for help than spend four hours spinning your wheels. And I reach out to individuals, including people that I probably feel like I haven't always had the best relationship with and say, listen, you are an expert and you are much better at this than I am. And I need your help. Can you help me with this? Um, and I have gotten a fantastic response in that way. 
I would say that too is, is I have a lot of mentors who have been able to assist me. Um, and, and I would say on the flip side, like I now too have people who call me, which is, which makes me kind of laugh. Cause I'm like, oh, cool. you think I can help you? Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's, I would much rather just acknowledge and ask somebody for help than, than to try to wing it. It's okay to make mistakes, but I'm not a winging it kind of. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. So you mentioned earlier in the interview a little bit, the kind of the size of the budget you have. And I know in the talks that we've had before, a majority of that budget does come from sort of the people that you hire and that's true across the agency. Can you talk to us about any big projects that you might have on the agency level that are, are taking a look at this kind of hiring employee management type of project? Yeah. So our biggest one right now is something that I'm actually really excited about, and it really does stem from position management. Uh, so we're working on a long-term project to, to better engage with job applicants and manage the application process, especially around time to hire and onboarding. Um, and this issue really became evident during like your, your referencing like personal services projections, because you know, out of our, our budget, 167 million, I would say 85% of it is tied up in, in people and personal services. And so obviously projecting personal services and position management is, is a huge uh, part of managing that money. And so what I realized very quickly is as we're doing projections, when you're projecting when individuals, after you've released those positions to be hired, you're estimating and you have variables in your projections of when they will be hired and when they're going to hit payroll. And so what I found is there was a delay in, in the hiring process and when they were going to actually hit payroll. And, and that caused a million dollar variance on projections. And so a million dollars out of 167 million, like, all right, so we're talking less than 1%, but still, like, it's still enough to say, what is the issue? Like, let's really drill down and find out what's going on. And part of it is pandemic related. Um, and then part of it, you know, is really finding out what is what is going on in the in the process. And so we now have this kind of cross-representational team across, you know, every division is re represented of HR and finance and field, field operations who have obviously the biggest stake because most of it are their positions that are being hired um, to do the work uh, of the agency. And we've identified a vendor that will help us uh, kind of track applicants and really gain efficiencies and leverage this technology to be able to gain transparency in the hiring process. And so I didn't mention this before, but our agency is spread across the whole state. And so I know, I know you're, you're up there in DC, but Georgia's huge. Like we have a, a really large geographic expanse down here. Um, and so we have offices all over the state, which means we also have positions all over the state. And we're hiring all over the state. And so to try to do a hiring process with that kind of geographic spread, you know, we have representation in all 49 judicial circuits. And so having a system that will kind of, you know, give us that kind of really statewide perspective and then really give us better position management, we're pretty excited about that. So right now we're still in, you know, we've got different teams that are working on different functions of that, but we're pretty excited rolling out in the next couple months. That's awesome. And you are definitely right about DC. I feel like people sigh here if you tell them they have to cross a bridge to go to Virginia. Is there anybody that you would like to give a shout out to or who has either mentored you or helped you along in your either your 
your public sector journey or just your life in general? Sure, I actually have two individuals um, that I'm very close with. And I thought about them earlier when you asked, like when you get stuck on a problem, who do you call? And these are probably two of the individuals that are on speed dial in my phone. Um, And one of them is actually, I would consider a a contemporary, uh, also a mentor. Um, His name is Chris Wells. And and he's now, we work together at uh, the governor's office of planning and budget together. And now he he is running an agency and he is our age. And so it is phenomenal to see someone in his capacity doing this amazing work. Um, And he is, he's doing a phenomenal job. And it's interesting to kind of I share insight from a CFO role, and then of course he can share his insight as an as an agency head. Um, and so we definitely have very different perspectives, but we always he's somebody that I can kind of bounce ideas off of. And he has he's very financially minded because we both are finance people um, by nature. And then the other individual um, is is Joe Hood, and Joe is a deputy commissioner at a, a, a one of our, if not our largest health agency in, in the state at the Department of Community Health. And he is one of the individuals that I worked with also at the governor's office of planning and budget. And he hired me and he's um, has been a mentor for a really long time. He was there when I first interned at OPB. And so I always joke that when I was like a baby state employee, which I think some people still look at my face and think I'm a baby state employee, um, but he is, he's definitely, he's been a CFO. I mean, he's, he's kind of done it all. And so when I have a question about certain activities, especially as a CFO, like, will this pass an audit check? <laughs> like, will an auditor look at this and have an issue or even something very technical? Like I have a purchase order that I have an issue with and why does it look like this? And I can call him and ask him that question because he's been a CFO before. And so those are, are two people that, I would say are always in my corner and I always know that I can call them with any question. And when I'm having challenges with staffing or I'm having work-related questions or they can even share the joys of personal life, I have three small kids. I have a six, a five, and a two-year-old. And so, and they know that. And so they know too, like as soon as they, I tell them my zoo has arrived, if I'm talking after hours and they know, oh, you got to go. The zoo is home. It's time to put your mom hat on and you're no longer the CFO. So those are the those are the ones that I would say have been uh, a major help and continue to be major influence in, in my role as uh, a public sector leader. That, that's really great. And that's that's probably really the ideal balance of somebody who you can say, hey, I'm in this position here. I need your professional advice and someone who you can say, hey, I'm thinking of taking a promotion or I'm thinking of doing this. And they can also give you a little bit of that kind of career life advice as well. Thank you for joining me. This has been an awesome interview. Um, I think our audience is really going to like it. Um, and I really appreciate you, you joining me today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. So it's wonderful to catch up with you, Alex. You too. Thanks for listening to Decisions That Matter. This podcast is brought to you by Procurated, the leading supplier evaluation tool for procurement professionals across the U.S. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. See you again next time.